You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 373. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, my friends. Thank you so much as always for listening. I am so excited to be speaking with you. Unexpectedly, I'm doing a solo episode, as I'm sure you can already tell from the title of this episode. I had done a new Beauty of Life, the Beauty of Life series with Jennifer. We did record, but we're using a new service. I, in the olden days of the podcast, used to use Skype, and we had this special call recorder that recorded on two different tracks. That's no longer working with my new updated computer. So we've switched over and apparently it's actually better this new process called Riverside with our podcast producer. So we've moved over to this high tech new thing that's supposed to be better, but I didn't know when we switched over that the account needed to be upgraded from the free account to a special one for more dual track recording. And because we had such technical difficulties in that episode specifically, it would be really hard to listen to as a podcast just because of the in and out and the talking over each other. You know, when that happens on the phone where you're talking over each other because you're not hearing at the right timing for each other to communicate clearly. So it was definitely a loss in terms of a podcast episode, but it was great to check in with Jennifer and she'll be coming back on the show the next time around. So for this week, I am doing my own little solo show with you. I am very excited to be chatting with you, actually, because it feels like even though I've been talking, we've had a bunch of guests lately, which is new and unusual for the recent season of season nine of the show. But at the same time, I love talking to you guys. And I did do some Instagram lives recently. You might have caught one or two of them, or you could go see them. They're on our Reels section of the Instagram account if you want. At the moment, it's still Jess C as in Cookie Lively, but you may know already that I have gotten more unique, shall we say, and I'm now going by Bella and eventually the Instagram handle will change over too. But right now we're working on a new website to go along with the social media and everything getting updated. So we'll change that, I think, more closely related to the website design. I also have a photo shoot here in Sydney too, coming up when the rain clears. It's actually a gorgeous day right now, but if you looked at the forecast, it's showing like 12 days straight of rain on and off. So we're just trying to figure out which is the ideal morning for a sunrise shoot on the beach with the sparkle water and some pretty clouds. So let's see how this flows, but I've got two more weeks here and then I head over to London. So excited to be back in London. I loved my time in London last year so much, did three straight months, loved it, was really excited to see how Australia would fit for a visa. You might already know this process already, but just for those that haven't caught up in a little while, I came to London, loved it, but then was like, you know what? I'm going to go see about a visa in Australia. And now I will be almost three months in Australia and the cruise for Abraham Hicks in New Zealand come early February. So I am leaving to go because there is no actual visa at the moment, besides getting an MBA or some kind of graduate degree that would work for me. And to be honest, I'd rather invest my time, money, and intelligence, I guess, into creating what we're creating for you. And this whole like little trip has been, in so many ways, a very deep introspective area of time in my life. A lot of alone time, a lot of interesting new integration phases of consciousness for me on the personal level. And then also creative it's actually created a lot of space for me to create a lot of new ideas and potentials for our community and IVFTs running and all that good stuff. So anyways, let's dive in. Oh yeah, but on the Instagram stories, let me go back to that. So on the Instagram stories in the one I just did, I did a favorites, like my favorite things version of uh, Instagram live because I thought that would be a very low pressure, low key way to share my visually, my favorite things. If you're curious on my favorite things that I'm loving right now, most of them are Australian. I don't know if they even ship outside of Australia in many cases, but you can go check those out if you'd like. But I asked them in there if they would like a podcast, I'd let them vote on what to do for the solo show. And there was about a 50-50 response when it came to things that I should share. Like, should it be favorite things or Q&A? It was 50-50. So I want to share a few of my favorite things that I am loving. And then I also, those things I hope are easy enough to listen about. And then I've got questions that you guys have shared on Instagram. So I'm going to answer those. So when it comes to things I'm, I'm sharing and I'm loving, I have to say, 
I am loving incense as a category. Now, historically, I've always been more of a candle person than an incense person, but as incense seems to have updated itself and like less, I don't know, less like hippie kind of incenses, like when there's more designed hippie, like less hippie, but like more designer does fragrance or like incense fragrances. I'm just loving it. I never got into it historically too, too, too much. But now that there are so many options that are so designed and just really interesting flavor, flavor, (laughs) scent profiles that are kind of like candles, I'm just obsessed. So I would say Gentle Habits as a general favorite thing is a brand that is here in Australia and they have some incredible incense that I have now picked up and I've stocked up on doubles and in one case triples of the packs. I am loving them. The triple pack one, if you're curious, is the one with Rosalina and it's in the pink box. I forget the name of them. They're all based on Australian locations and details of Australia. I have about four or five different colors and they're just so beautiful. And then I have like two of each one and then three of the pink one because I'm going through them like it's like two to four, six, six a day, depending on how much I'm in the apartment (laughs) and how smoky I feel like feeling. Thankfully, they're not hyper, hyper scented like some other incense that I have in love. So I can burn that many and it's not just like making me feel gross on the inside, but I'm just loving incense, actually so much so that I'm on the way tonight in about an hour and a half to go to dinner with my friend Tony, and it's his birthday today, and I actually got him the incense because this is going to be my new thing. As long as I can find, especially this incense, I don't think it's necessarily sold in London, so I don't know, but it's my new go-to gift thing. If I can find more incense to give people, <laughs> I think that's going to be my thing. God, I'm a little incense holder too. I have uh, two incense holders now myself, so... Um, Uh, Yeah, one for different types of incense, Um, one for like the ones that burn all the way through and then one for the ones that have the long stick and that leave like one tiny little like inch or two of stick at the end. So anyways, I'm just loving incense and Gentle Habits incense in particular is the one that is my favorite at the moment and I'm stocked up. I think I have like seven packs and then I got one, um, the more manly, musky, stronger smell for Tony. So anyways... Very excited about my incense and my incense gifting. This will be my first incense gift to give as a gift and cannot wait. The other thing I'm loving is, let's see, the, I'm going to pick sparkles. So I'm so excited for the photo shoot. I have some amazing dresses that are sparkly, like sparkle water. And I'm so excited. I actually just found one at a secondhand store on the way home in an Uber from an appointment. I had the Uber driver drop me off earlier than my apartment because I saw this one in the window and I was like, oh my gosh, it just is all of the things. So I'm very excited to do the photo shoot for the new website with Laura Coleman Photography. She's one of our longtime listeners here on the show. And she found me after a long time of not seeing my Instagram stories. And then days before I saw her in our following in Instagram, she was looking at our page to think about how she would shoot me if she was to shoot me. And then a few days later, I'm looking on the Instagram stories and I posted something in the evening here in the park. And when I saw the different people were looking at the stories. Normally there's a lot of people looking at the stories quite quickly. So there's like, you know, already 10 or 20 people right after I post that see something. But because I posted in the evening time in Australia, it's a quieter time in the rest of the world. So it had less people looking at it. And in that specific moment, only two people were looking at it, which obviously made the name stand out much more than if there was 10 or 20 or, you know, way more names right away. And one of them was Laura Dash Sydney photographer. And I was like, well, (laughs) if I'm going to do these photos, this seems like maybe a person to do them with. So I'm very excited. And she's also very excited. And again, I'm also starting this week with the web designer, Jess from Mara Design Co. Very excited to be working with her too. So yeah, just a little bit of a creative juices flowing moment in my reality. And I'm just loving it. So what else? Oh, the Daily Co. That's the last thing. Okay. The Daily Co. They don't yet ship out of Australia or to New Zealand. They're just to those two countries right now. But when they do ship outside of it, I have to say, please look them up. I will see. Actually, I'm so obsessed with their stuff. I'm stockpiling it just like the incense to take to London with me. And the Skin Sun Barrier Protect. Oh my gosh. So good. Their retinaldehyde. Also, I'm like learning how to use it and stay clear at the same time 
time. And their vitamin B is just so good. The woman just seems, it's a woman with a mother-daughter team. The mother is 30 years experience in microneedling and facialist stuff. And she just knows her stuff. You know, when you listen to someone talk about something, you're like, you know what you're doing. I originally found her through Peppa Hart, which I think is actually Sophie is the woman in Peppa Hart brand. I like following her and her little adventures with her family in Bali on her Instagram. And I think she's somehow connected to Gentle Habits because she has some specific Peppa Hart branded stuff with Gentle Habits. So I don't know exactly how they're related, but I've seen on Sophie's account on Instagram through Peppa Hart that her skin just kept getting better and better as she was using Daily Co. And so it caught my eye that her skin, you could just tell was getting better and better. And I was like, I want to try that. And I'm loving it. So my sunscreen woes are behind me. I finally feel like I am just super thrilled. I have a few other products I do like, but this is becoming my base range and I'm just stocking up. So keep an eye on that for when they do ship abroad. I might even see if if or when they do ship abroad, if I can get a discount code for you guys, because I would love for you guys to be able to try this product. Like I having tried so many things in my life as I have for my very tricky skin, I feel so happy that I feel, you know, it's just brilliant. So really, really, really want to support them and love what they're doing. So those are my favorite things that I think are pretty easy enough to share on the show without you, you know, me describing a bowl to you or something like that. So let's dive into the questions you guys have asked. As always, thank you guys so much for asking the questions. I'm going to answer as many as we can in the time here. Um, so let's dive in. Okay. One we have, CC Page said, hey there, friend, curious if you could do a bit of bippity-boppity-boo from your inner voice. I've always really enjoyed those messages. Could use the alignment time they bring. I'll do it very quickly, a little bit, and we'll just keep going. It won't be a whole show or anything. I've actually thought about doing the bippity-boppity-boo as something for Instagram lives even potentially. So let's see if I just like turn it on and just start doing it for you guys, but let's see. Okay. So you're doing a really, really, really good job. You are doing so much better than you're actually giving yourself credit for. If you could only give yourself the credit you truly deserve, truly, truly, truly deserve, give yourself that pat on the back, buy yourself that sparkling ring, do the things you really, really, really want to do. Allow yourself to say, I'm doing a good job and I'm going to allow myself all of the beautiful experiences in this life that I truly want and desire. Only I can allow myself to have them. Only I can stop myself from having them. So have them or not, but choose the wise way. Choose the highest way. Choose the joy of yourself every day. Do what you need for you. You're the only one that can do what you need for and through and to and by you. You're the joyful creator of your reality. Please do it with joy. You don't have to choose joy, of course, but we would honor and delight in your joy and your releasing of the apprehension that it's not allowed. It is allowed. You're allowed to be happy. You're allowed to be free. You're allowed to go around, all around, all around, all around, all around. You're so allowed to go. Just keep going. Just keep enjoying. Enjoy and go. Glow and flow. Go here, go there, go to and far and everywhere. Go and flow. Flow as you glow. Glow and the flow. It's really as simple as that. You don't have to do it. As we said, you have free will, but we would say, why would you choose any other way? There you go. That's my little bibbity bobbity boo for you. For those that are familiar, I used to do these little channel messages. I actually think more and more, I used to call it bibbity bobbity boo because obviously it sounds like a mix of the fairy godmother from Cinderella in the Disney movie. To me, it's like, the what what do what do what do bibbity bobbity boo and then it also kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss so I feel like <laughs> I don't know if it's my inner voice all of us all around it's just the station that's easiest for me to tune to when it comes to channeling it's like where I flow float to the easiest so there you have it a little spontaneous off the cuff channel for you hopefully that was enjoyable and now let's go on so now we have breakup coach Dorothy says okay this is a long one okay I just saw it <laughs> okay feeling pulled by, by, oh, feeling pulled to buy a 
four bed, four bath home. I keep coming back to it, but it doesn't make logical sense to the mind because it's just me and my great Dane Tinkerbell. It sparks joy and technically I have the funds for it, but it's so much more than I've been spending on housing in my life. I've also been doing your Bella Vita course in that reality. I feel like I already have it. How do you stay aligned with the inner voice and the mind is so heavy on a decision like this? I can't tell when something is in flow versus not. And I'm not always feeling like I'm in a high vibration due to other life circumstances. So I don't want to be frozen and not taking action because I feel the low part of the wave. How do you do things when you're feeling lows rather frequently? So much there. My apologies. Okay. All right. So I think it's a pretty straightforward question. Okay. She's feeling called to get this four bed, four bath home. I would say to like A, one thing you could do is just take a step back and go, okay, it's my preference right now of all the options that I see to have this house, but I don't have to have it. So let's A, take any of like, I have to have this house or I should never have this house off the table. Let's just say, okay, this is obviously seeming like a really interesting potential that's shown up. Let's just start there. It's interesting. It's a really interesting potential. And let's move back from attachment to desire or fleeing from it to preference. So let's go, okay, it's it's a preference right now for sure. It's a preference. <laughs> it's a house. It's pretty. I feel called to it, but I don't have to have it. It'd be nice to have, but I don't have to have it. Okay. That just kind of tones everything down about the number of rooms and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it'd be nice to have, but there are many houses and this is the best one I see right now. But even if this one doesn't happen, I don't have to have it. Okay. So we're stepping it all back from this like intense push or in this intense pull. What we want is a clear choice, not something you're rushing into or running away from, but just the thing that naturally floats to the top. As my dad, I actually just see this right now. When I was young, I was in seventh grade and I was one of those kids that was just kind of a high achiever and so like could naturally just get good grades and be, you know, first string on the basketball team and all that kind of stuff. So I was always kind of like highly achieving at whatever I did. And I remember in basketball, I was always very good until I got into high school and then I got very mental and kind of lost my natural talents to my mind control. So it kind of messed it all up. But I will say that in seventh grade, I was still pretty good back then. And especially because I was older than most of the girls. I was actually tall for my age. If you can imagine, I used to be the center on my fifth grade basketball team. I'm five, four and a half a reference. So I kind of like hit that height and then stayed while everyone else surpassed me. But Okay. So he said when I was on second string, I don't know if I was second or third string when I first started the basketball in the seventh grade team. And I was like, wait, why am I not on the first string? I was just always used to that. And I remember talking to him about it once. And he said, he's a very wise man. He said, the cream always rises, Jessica the cream always rises. And so what he was saying was like, just go play your heart out, just go do your best and the cream will rise. So if you're meant to be on the first string, that cream will rise. And so what I want to say about this house situation is that let the house that is the cream rise to the top right now. This is the potential you're looking at, but just even if you still get the house, may it be the one that rises and stays there without your extreme effort or force. Does that make sense? Let it rise. Let it rise. You don't have to push this house from the bottom of the pot of cream to the top. It's that it will float to the top. By that, I mean it will flow from the top if it's meant to be your top. I remember this from the Clotilde episode, one of the most quoted moments of the podcast. I talk about it all the time on other shows. You could just search for like Clotilde on the podcast if you want to go back to that session. It was like an inner voice session and her inner voice was so clear. And it said about her house or her flat in Paris. I think she's she's French. I forget if it was in Paris or not, but she got really attached to this house or apartment that she really, really wanted. And it didn't go well because she kind of forced it to happen. And it just did not flow. And even 15 months after she'd owned the house, so she did get it, it still was not flowing to own the house. Like other things having now owned the house were still problematic. And so her inner voice or her mind was bringing it up to the inner voice on the session to get clarity. And it said very clearly because she got it in this place of friction and resistance, it was still continuing that frequency even once she purchased it. And I asked the Clotilde's inner voice, I said, what would you have done if you could have 
done it differently. If you were totally in charge of her voice, what would you have done? And they had a completely different approach than what she did. They said, we would have first loved the house that she was in. So she was feeling antsy to get out of that house. And she felt very scared that she wasn't going to see anything as beautiful as the one that was being presented to her that she ended up buying. So she kind of pushed the money and pushed everything to push it through. And it, it did work, but it was still stressful. Just as it was in the beginning, it continued to be. They would have relaxed. They would have loved the house she was in more than she was actually loving it. They would have waited and waited. They said there was thousands or millions of other properties just as great as that one. And so they would have just rested and relaxed until something even more aligning appeared. And so they were in no rush. So I would say for Dorothy, I would say just, you could still get this house. There's nothing about this house that's right or wrong. I, this reminds me actually of getting the Detroit house that, uh, penthouse that I had, I was going to London at that time to get a visa and overnight, like just it flowed in my life. And I wasn't even trying to get a place in Detroit. I was trying to go to London, but I wasn't meant to be in London yet. So this magical thing like fell in my lap. And I said, look, I'm only going to get this place in like the opposite conditions of Clotilde because I had it. I didn't even want a place in Detroit. That wasn't even on my radar. So the only way I would ever do such a right turn <laughs> to do something so opposite was if it fell magically into place. And I can say that I had the complete opposite experience of Clotilde because I had no resistance to not having it. I was happy with where I was going. I wasn't rushing or pushing it. It flowed insanely magically. I'll save it because it'd be another 20 minutes to describe the level of magic of purchasing the home. The banker ended up becoming a dear friend that I picked. His phone number had the address in it. The place was sitting next to the the shop called Flow Boutique. I left the place in six months. Someone who worked for me on the time had a friend that was renting in Detroit and needed a place to stay. So then she started renting it at an executive re level rent price point that was insane that no one else in the whole city got. So it just like continued to pay me and make me a profit. <laughs> and then when it, she was ready to leave it, I put it on the market and then someone moved into it and they said, we want to buy it. We'll buy it and close two weeks after she leaves the flat. And then my friend Jess in Detroit, like helped me pack up everything while I was abroad. And it literally came together, fit like a glove. It was magical from the moment I got it and saw it to the moment it ended in my life. It was magical. So Dorothy, I would say, you know, I'm not against, I would say more like this. I'm not against a four bed, four bath house if it magically floats like the cream to the top. My house in Detroit or that condo in Detroit was certainly a cream of the crop. Like it was the only place in Detroit I ever would have considered. It was a custom kitchen that was quite Scandinavian and unusual for the space of other places in that city. It was custom made for this woman that lived in it before. For me, like that was the place if I was going to do it and it flowed perfectly through and through, did its job. So I'd say, Dorothy, set that standard so high that you're so detached from this specific house that you're more attached to the caliber of the cream of the crop that you want, that you're just about seeing if this place flows at that high standard. And if it doesn't, let it go. And that way, all of those beanbags you're talking about and all that other heaviness, you can sort out by releasing. So beanbag, you know, release the crap out of everything that you're talking about that's being hard and all the limiting beliefs and everything. And as you're clearing out the old emotional gunk, keep setting the preference and standard high and for the best, for the best and highest thing for me. If it ends up being a four bed, four bath house, so be it as long as it's the highest and best for me. Take the scale of it off your table and just look at, is it flowing or is it not? Is it becoming more magical by the day and week and month and year, or is it becoming less so? And then just let it go if it doesn't hold the high standard and trust that something better is coming. That would be my answer to that. But of course, your inner voice has all of the guidance you truly need. So go there for further clarity. If anything, you know, I said, does or doesn't resonate for you. Okay, now we have Izzy who said, of all the experiences you've had since you sold your house, which one would you say has been the most impactful? Would love to know your mind's answer versus your inner voice's answer. Okay, sold my house. I'm guessing she means the house in Ann Arbor. So for those that are new to the show, there's been many houses. There's been many sales. I've lived in a lot of places in the last seven years. So I think Izzy is mentioning this from the reference point of the big, pivotal, life-changing moment of my Ann Arbor, Michigan house being sold in 2016. So for those who don't know, the very short, long story is that I was going on a trip to London in 
2016. I had just six months ago divorced my husband very happily, very peacefully, but like I was sitting in this house and I was like, you know what? I live here alone. I can be anywhere. Why don't I go to London for the summer? Do something a little different. I'm not having kids right now. Like I thought, why not? So I was going. And then a week before the trip, a woman, a real estate agent who knew me for very magical circumstances that had to do with the divorce, she basically watched my husband leave our house as he was driving away with our dog, Franklin, to go move. So he, she met us as she was selling the house next door to HGTV. They sold the house to HGTV and they were giving it away as one of their dream home giveaway houses, but we didn't know that at the time and she was locked out of the house. So she met us as he was driving away. So we said, hi, my name is... <laughs> Jessica and this is, you know, Mr. Lively and that we're like we're married but he's leaving right now forever. <laughs> so it's like so weird. And she was the woman, the real estate agent was locked out of the house next door so she just stood there on the porch with the contractor who was going to renovate the house for HGTV which again we didn't know at the time that was what was happening. We just thought, "Oh, we're going to meet the neighbors." Nope. Uh she just watched it and so for that reason she knew that I was there alone in the house and probably not going to stay in it so forever, but I had no intention to move while I was going to London. Either way, she sold it. She talked me into a week before I was leaving, she had a woman that had a house sale that fell through in Ann Arbor. She was moving as a doctor for a doc like a 3 or 4 year part of her internship program or something. And so she's like, I want to show her your house. And I was like, you can't show her my house. I'm going away next week to London. <laughs> she's like, she talks me into it. So anyways, this woman goes over and like 3 days later she has 48 hours in Ann Arbor to buy another house and so this real estate agent talks me into doing this. Long story short, I sell it to her. And the rest is history. Then I'm in the suitcase traveling the world. It's now, I think, about seven years. Oh my gosh, seven years since then. Two years in Portugal. It felt like I was done traveling then. That was a really nice long period of time. And technically, I still have the Portuguese visa. So I could still live in Portugal if I choose to. If London doesn't work out, it is an option. But what of all the experiences would you say was been the most impactful? The transformation of my perception in Hawaii would be the most impactful. So how I don't talk about it very much, uh, at least not on the show. It's kind of a personal uh, thing for me. I haven't gone into incredible detail. Sometimes I talk obliquely about it, but I don't go straight into it. It's something that's very personal. I'm sure at some point it will be something that I talk about more directly. I do talk about it extensively in Cocoon because it's really geared towards that level of consciousness. And so that's where it comes out the most. I do sometimes at the end of long coaching sessions kind of bring it up in, in relation if it's relevant. But anyways, I would say that that Hawaii shift of perception experience was certainly certainly the most impactful. Um, and one that was about three years in the making in the midst of the last seven years, but it happened then. Um, and my inner voice would say, yes, this as well. Ah, my inner voice is saying this as well. So this time in the last few months, this last two to three months, also incredibly important and impactful. And, uh, boy, have I been feeling that <laughs> on so many, I would literally say many, 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 many levels. Not yet ready to go into it in a heavy, deep way here, but I would certainly say that even though I've had many aligning experiences and beanbag releasings and all sorts of different things all over the world, these inner journeys that I've been on by far outweigh the rest of the surface level stuff. The other stuff is just fun detail, but the depth of perception change means by far the most. But great question. Okay, now we have Myth in Stone. He said, have you ever looked into your astral cartography, location astrology? I'm curious to know what lines you have around places you're drawn to again and again. I actually haven't looked at it personally, but I have two friends that are astrologers or one with an astrologer background and one who is an astrologer, and they've looked at it for me on specifically two spots. One is London, one is Australia. So I have two lines, I'm forgetting the names of them, but one's about communication and being in your power or something like that. And those have to do with Australia and even more directly through Melbourne than Sydney, although they both kind of go through Australia. And then I have my moon one through London. So I got summaries about like what those 
lines mean? If you want to look this up, I just would Google probably astral cartography chart or something and put in your details if you're curious to try this for yourself or obviously go to an astrologer that you know, love and trust and ask them, I guess, to do it if you want to. But the moon piece, the description said, I would get more out of like comfort, maybe even a family. And I have a cozy sense of home, which feels so true for me in London. I know London's a big city. I know many people find it overwhelming and big. To me, it's not overwhelming or big at all. It feels very comfortable, cozy, and navigatable to me in so many ways. It just feels great. So I can totally see that. And it I remember here, the details of Australia had, um, I would dress better and be more outspoken. I would be more a leader in the field, which is interesting because I have been doing more work stuff even in the last few months since I've been here. So it's interesting. And actually, I do want to come back here, even if I get a visa for London. I would love to be back in Australia for the wintertime of London, the summertime down here, especially to teach IVFT. I just love teaching from the midday to hours and the weather and everything. It's brilliant. So I still would like to split my time in my dream world, but I am at the at the flow of my inner voice in alignment to my preferences. So obviously I don't know if that's actually what's going to happen, but if my mind had to pick, I would split the time. And actually, even when I came down here to get a visa, I was still going to spend the summer in London and slash the winter here. So it's just going to theoretically be a reverse case scenario where I'm based more up there. And actually, as I've been here, I have to say, I do love it, but I feel like a lot of the mystique in the long lost lover effect of not being able to be here for a few years has kind of worn off. And like, yes, it's a beautiful place. And if I don't have any restriction in terms of traveling here and I could just do two to four months a year here, I'm happy. Like I don't have to be here 12 months a year. I can be here two to four months and be quite, quite, quite happy. And if I was going to spend six months anywhere or more a year. At the moment, my preference in my mind would be London. I've realized as I've lived in certain places, there's no one specific place that's always right. What's right is right in the now moment. So Detroit was right in that now moment. Hawaii during COVID was right in that now moment. Portugal was right in that now moment. And then this may be you know, Australia has been right right now. It's not like I wanted to be in London. Let's say I get a visa for London. I'm still happy I've been in Australia for the last three months having the gorgeous, well, <laughs> gorgeous-ish weather that we've had here. It's been quite rainy in different parts of this, but overall it's been quite better and less rainy than London, I'm sure, and hotter and sunnier in the other beautiful days. So I'm happy I've been here. I'm happy that I haven't been up north, but I am excited to go back. So it's kind of the best of all worlds is just being in the right place for your right now, <laughs> right that right place right now. That's basically what I found. So who knows how long, I'm not even trying to say I would ever even want or care to live in uh, London forever. I just think it's my place that I like being next or now. That's kind of all I've got to go on. But you know, my my inner voice is the guide. So I'm just here following the clues and the guidance I've got from my joy and my inner voice. Okay, now we have, I'd love to know your thoughts on organized religion. I get so much comfort from Christianity and Buddhism, but I also don't fall squarely inside a single box. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. I was raised Catholic personally, and I feel like I've probably had many... <laughs> many being an understatement. Like if I, as a soul, have a theme of lives, I bet it's consciousness and I bet it's not religion as such, but just a lot of introspective things. And so obviously through time that did look like religion. So I bet I've been a priest in a, I bet I've been in India. I bet I've been a priest. I bet I've been esoteric Gnostic traditions. Like I bet I've been around the block when it comes to this space because it is my place of confidence. And that does not come from my childhood in any way whatsoever. It, and it always, even as a child, I was heavily like doing a lot of things that were actually quite religious. <laughs> my parents were not religious. They raised me Catholic, but that was just so that if we traveled abroad, we'd be able to go to a Catholic school versus a Lutheran. It was just more available. It wasn't that they actually personally believed in it. And from even a young age, for me personally, I always innately kind of came in baked in with a knowingness for myself that um, all of the religions were speaking the same 
truth, but from their own point of view and place and culture. And, you know, I, I just thought too logically when I was like seven years old, I remember having a, a debate with my grandfather and my dad was there. So it's my grandfather, a Roman Catholic, a hundred percent Italian, who's married to an Irish Catholic woman, <laughs> very religious for the religious sake and very philosophical too. He's a lawyer. And my dad was the engineer, mechanical, um, scientific point of view completely watching the debate my grandfather and I had. And my dad actually completely believed in my like little seven or eight year old premise. I just said, you know, if there was like CNN back then, then everybody could have the chance to believe in the same thing. But I couldn't get over the idea that like God would make certain kids okay and not others, but not give the chance for the others that to know about him. Cause I was like, well, there's no TV show for them to all see the truth. Like, so if you, if, if one way is the only way and everybody else isn't saved, then I was like, well, how did God have all these kids and not tell some of them about him? And then he's like rejecting them. Like, like just logically never made sense to me. I forget my grandfather's point or premise, but it was not what my dad agreed with. He was definitely like, yeah, what she's saying makes sense. <laughs> so anyways, I'm not saying what anyone else believes is right or wrong. I'm just saying from my own, because you're asking about my personal thoughts. And I would say obviously personal perce- perceptions and opinions based on obviously my point of view. So obviously go into your inner voice and your experience will be all, everybody's will be different. But that's for me, my background. And I always was drawn to Eastern philosophy going, when am I going to learn the other language of the same truth? Like I was like, okay, I want to go find the other one. Cause I kind of only got exposed when I was young to the Christian side of it. And I loved that for what it was. I always looked at it as a buffet. I took what I like. I left the rest. I took what made sense to me. I didn't keep all of it. And I was about to do, you know, ready and excited to do the same for Buddhism and did when I finally got to college and got to get some access to stuff, even though it wasn't like probably the most lively or alive version of Buddhism as a class in philosophy studies about Buddhism, which is not the same as like actually practicing Buddhism and making it an alive thing in someone's life and practice. It was more of a class about the subject, but, uh, you know, going to church and then taking a class on Christianity at a college that's not Christian is just a very different, you know, dynamic. One's kind of looking from the outside in and one is you're actually in it and you're learning what it's like from the inside. So I would also say that if you don't fall squarely in a single box, what my favorite thing that I discovered through a friend in college was Anthony DeMello. So I've mentioned him before as well. Awareness on Audible, Awareness, the word, on Audible by Anthony DeMello. It's a series of Anthony DeMello, an Indian, like an India Indian Catholic priest in the 1970s speaking about awareness. So, oh, he was like all the things that I just saw that. And I was like, oh my God, this is somebody that obviously was growing up in a culture of um, Indian tradition and Eastern philosophy. But then I don't know his earlier years and how he got into Catholicism as what he did as a, you know, priest. I don't know how he got to become a priest, but I can tell you from what I've heard, enlightenment (laughs) through that man through and through. So amazing. So if you want to find like an Eckhart Tolle that's an Indian Catholic priest in the 1970s, go check him out. Obviously he's not Eckhart Tolle. I'm not saying that that's it. I direct like he's a different human with a different perception, but on a very, very aware one. And I just think so much about how ahead of his time he was. And you can even hear it in his voice as he's speaking in these speeches, because they're not actually a book. He's not reading out loud. He's speaking directly to people. And in some of the chapters, which are really just audios, you can hear the, the consciousness of the people he's talking to in the 1970s. And you're like, wow, they just kind of sound like 1970s people that sound a little bit like robots. It's crazy. They don't really sound like robots, but you know, just like the consciousness of those people is so much the aperture. I'm seeing like a photo lens, like is so much more closed or like smaller, like they're seeing so much less light than how he's seeing. It's amazing. So I would say on the end of this, not to go crazy more into either of the religions, I I think they're all just a buffet and I take what I like, like I said, and I leave the rest. And I loved like, even there was a phase of my life during my 20s, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 20s. I found Joyce Meyer. I have no idea what's happened to Joyce Meyer since my 20s. So, you know, this is 15, 10, 13 years ago. But I remember loving Joyce Meyer and like even Joel Osteen, I was like, you know, those were people that at that time in my consciousness and my exposure range um, were people that were in a Christian faith that I enjoyed listening to at the time and 
kind of, I didn't believe everything that they said, but I I definitely thought they had value to share. And I would just listen and skim the top and like, you know, the cream always rises. I'd take the cream that I liked. I didn't have to believe everything they thought. I didn't listen to them forever. I wasn't beholden to anything, but I loved exposure to Stephen Covey and a lot of different sources and people and places. I like Tony Robbins. I wasn't ever... I guess, highly drawn to one being right or wrong or anything. I was just like taking, like I said, cherry picking everything that I loved and resonated in inside of myself. And I never put up a bar or, you know, but I also was never, I can say, obviously I probably have a little bit of Catholic guilt and stuff, but like, I don't, I think it was kind of strange when I was little to go, oh yeah, you have to like tell all your sins to this priest and stuff. Like that was a bit interesting that we had to think about sins and stuff, but like I didn't have any major gripe or like negative things that I ever experienced. So I was just more of like a casual observer of, of culture in that way and was always like seeking wisdom and seeking insight. And so any source, as you can tell, is pretty varied um, and limited when I was younger. Obviously, as I grew in the consciousness journey, I grew. And obviously Eckhart Tolle actually I found in the twenties because of Oprah. Thank you, Oprah. So actually here's a fun story. I've probably never shared on the show. Back when I was a jewelry designer in Chicago, one of the producers of the Oprah Winfrey show and Oprah was like my golden standard. Like I wanted to be Oprah when I was young and that's why I do what I do in a sense. Like I wanted to help people the way she did. I revered her so, so, so much, respected her so much. I fangirled really, let's be real. (laughs) I was fangirl of Oprah, like millions of people. And one of the producers bought some earrings of mine at a store in the West Loop and she lost her earring. And so she contacted me directly to get a new pair because I found out through her that when the producers, they have many producers for the show back in the day when they were doing it in the height of it. And this is like when Sex in the City's movie first appeared. This is the time frame this is happening. And the woman's earring, she likes to dress up. Actually, every producer works on a show for months at a time. And when their episode happens, they like to dress up for their the day of their show. It's like a special thing the producers do, which was so cute. And she got these earrings and she wanted to wear them for her premiere of, I think it was a Maria Shriver episode was going to air on Oprah. And she wanted a replacement to the one she lost. So she contacted me and she's like, yeah, you can come bring it down to the studio. My mom, I remember calling her, I'd had like a natural or fake natural, like Red Bullish kind of like one of those like fruit juice with caffeine in it thing. So not only was I hyped up on the caffeine, I was going to the Oprah studio and I was giving this woman this earring. My mom just said, (laughs) don't get hit by a car. Like you're so excited. (laughs) You could just fly out of the street and not look either way. Like just don't get hit by a car. She's just trying to keep me on the ground because I was so excited. So I went over, I gave her the earring and I gave her, of course I had to bring something for Oprah. If I had any chance to get Oprah anything, I gave her my fanciest Swarovski crystal necklace that I had at the time. It was called, I named my jewelry back then in the Jess LC days um, after streets in Chicago. And this one was called Rush Street, I remember, which is a fancy street in Chicago. And I gave her the ear, the necklace. And I said, you can give this to Oprah. And she claims, and I can't, I've never seen proof of this, but she claims that Oprah wore the necklace during the Eckhart Tolle, a new earth series, which probably many of you listening to this, if you are Oprah fans, remember back in, I don't know, 2010 or something like that. She says that she wore it with Eckhart. How cool is that? Like the fact that Eckhart would later play such a role in my journey and just relate to such a specific part of my, she could have worn it with Maria Shriver. She could have wore it at the Sex and the City premiere. She could have wore it any day, but she says that, and she promises that the woman wore it. I watched the video. I didn't see her wear it, but if she did, just the fact that my energy and Oprah's and Eckhart Tolle's might've been in the same room at the same time, just makes me very amazed at the flow and alignment of life. And yeah, so that's a fun story. (laughs) This has nothing to do with religion at all. My biggest point to the religion question would be, if you want to hear Christianity, Buddhism, well, pieces, I wouldn't say of pure Buddhism at all, but pieces of uh, Eastern philosophy and awareness all in one vessel, Anthony DeMello. Incredible. Okay. Now, let's go on. Question for your Q&A from... Nomi, N-O-E-M-I. She says, can you share your recommendations for sourcing crystals? Thank you in advance. I would say that I 
love crystals. As you guys probably know, I've been getting a few more recently and optimistic crystal shopping for my optimistic future home. <laughs> Optimistically, I have, by the way, on my, my eye on a 14 kilogram, like a 22 pound crystal. <gasps> it's insanely stunning. Um, for a home, I've actually thought seriously and messaged the person to have it shipped to London to my friend's house in the optimistic hope that I could have it in a home one day. But I'm at the moment taking a little moment to breathe. My intuition was kind of actually leading me to actually realize that there might be even a more aligned crystal than that one, potentially from her. This woman I'm speaking about is Spades Crystals, I think on Instagram. I saw her marketed to me through the Instagram marketing but her stuff is beautiful and majestic, I would even say. Some of the pieces are just beautiful. But when it comes to crystals, I just say I used to get them from Rachel of Rock & Co., which is now Rachel Creather of you know RTT that I recommend in my classes. And she does when I do RTT through a few of the classes like Elevate with Intention has RTT and uh, Unlimited Aligned Abundance. And actually, I don't know if Elevate did. That could be incorrect. She's done too. She did Embodied Alignment and unlimited aligned abundance. That's correct. So she did those ones. She used to have a crystal store. She was in us. Obviously she lives in Sydney, as you may not know, but she's, she sent me a crystal when I first met her and we were so meant to meet. And I had this feeling she would send me a crystal and she did. And we've just been great friends ever since. So I've seen her, one of the people I've seen the most as I have been in Australia is Rachel and she's no longer doing the crystal store, but I was talking with her the other day. And also we have Yulia in the audience, Goldie Rocks, by the way, taking IVFT, not to call her out, but she's an incredible author on crystals. And you guys might know her. She's part of the community and she would be maybe a better person to ask than me. But what I would say is wherever you see them, go for the ones that seem to light up. And I was saying this, I think to Rachel, I think was talking about crystals the other day. And we were saying, you know, some stores I go into, they just kind of all, I'm looking at orchids right now. I've got two pots of, this is actually so good for the analogy. So I have two vessels, vases with water and orchids in them in my bedroom right now. And I have this actually, interestingly, from the same stem, they're like a multi-stem orchid stem. So there's four strands of orchids coming off of a single branch. And one of the branches I snipped off and put next to the bed. And the other three are on the single branch across from me. And the ones across on the three on the one branch look wilted and a little bit forlorn. And then the ones, the same orchids, but in a single little vessel on the side of my bed look way more perky and alive. I feel like the way plants can look happier or unhappier, healthier or less healthy, I feel like crystals, you can see the same, or at least I can feel into them and feel that some crystals and some like general crystal stores are just like, wait, they just don't feel like they've got much essence or oomph to them. And so I'm not drawn to those kinds of crystals that feel a little bit worn out or forlorn. Um, obviously, sometimes dust plays a role in that, but I don't even think it's just dust. I just think some of them just feel a little bit more drained. And others feel a little bit more juicy. I don't know if these words make sense in crystal land, but they definitely do for me. So I would say more than I have any tips about it, I would just say feel into the ones that feel right and inspiring and aligning for you to be in the presence of. And obviously you can look up like how to clean them if you want to. And all those kind of details are out there if you feel like doing that kind of stuff too, to help clear the energies of them. But I always like to pick juicy crystals, you could say. And uh, I just don't really care I, that's like as far as I've gotten in terms of my knowledge. So now we have Aaron Bellis who said, do you or have you ever felt fearful in traveling alone or when ending a relationship? Okay. So I guess there's two questions. Do you or have you ever felt fearful in traveling alone? No, but I'm never going to like a war-torn country. So I wouldn't probably flow into a place where I would feel unsafe. Um, the only place I'd ever felt, what I always noticed is that every place I was at always thought other places were more unsafe than their place, except for South Africa. South Africa and Cape Town specifically, I mean, Johannesburg is even more unsafe, so I've been told, but I've never spent loads of time there, so I can't speak to it personally. But what I noticed about South Africa and South Africans is that they felt at times or were very cautious and careful based on personal experience or family experience. There's so many cases of stuff that 
can happen there. It's so great to be there. I'm not saying you shouldn't go, but that's the only place I ever went and was kind of like tipped off that the actual locals were very aware of security and safety in themselves and had personal experiences in their lives or family members all around them that had had issues. So that was the one place I probably had the highest alert was South Africa and Cape Town. But that said, I stayed in nice areas and I was just very savvy and aware and followed my intuition, of course, as always. So I never actually felt terribly unsafe, but that would be the one area I've been that would have been maybe slightly unsafe. But again, I would just do things that were smart and not silly. Have I ever felt fearful or when ending a relationship? With my marriage, I felt no fear at all. <laughs> I was just very excited. We stayed friends. So it wasn't like I was ending anything. It was more about an evolution of the relationship into a more natural fit for us. What I've realized looking at relationships now, after all the years of dating and all the people I met around the world, and as I was in that needy, thirsty, worried that I won't have a relationship state before Atlas, I would say, looking back on it, I feel like I was meeting a lot of significant people or actors in my soul's journey. And I didn't realize at first because they're all single men that are somehow in my age bracket to be dating those ones I'm speaking about specifically. And I'd feel these love for them so quickly, but I started to get wise enough over time and a lot of trial and error that I would be sad when it would end. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, but when is my partner? When is my family? All that stuff. But I started to look back and go, what is the dynamic of this person in my life? And I was like, that person loved me like a grandfather. Like that relationship, the way he's tender and cared, obviously we were having sex or like whatever, but like, I'd be like, you know what? Like, I actually think if you take the age that we are and everything else out, what's the energetic love that's there? The energetic love dynamic that's there. And I was like, you know what? This one guy reminded me of like, he loves me like a grandfather. And I just kind of realized like, maybe it was. And then I was like, hmm, my ex-husband, I feel like is like a brother or like was a cousin. I know that sounds incestuous, but souls like over many lifetimes keep kind of traveling in packs and just recycle each other because they're favorite actors to work with. And also some karmic ones, I guess they're in, in there too. But then they just like have these dynamics. So then I just got smart about it over a lot of trial and error at first. And then finally started to ask my inner voice, how do I know this person? At one point I got to a point where I was like, Godfather. I was like having a crush on a guy who used to be my Godfather. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. So in my perception, last life of many lives, I feel like I'm seeing all of my favorite people or souls in bodies now. And a lot of them, you know, I've met through the nature of being single and them being male. And so I've just learned like, it's like good game, good game, good game. It's like a high five to everybody. Now I've learned to not like jump into dating these people. I asked my inner voice first, how do I know this person? Do I know this person? What is the dynamic? And I go with that first. And so that's helped me just kind of be less fearful, I guess, as far as like even starting a relationship, let alone ending one. And also I would ask afterwards and say, how did I know this person? And one of them actually, I remember there was one that you guys heard me inner voice. I was sad about it ending. And I aired that it was before I dated Atlas. And my inner voice said that that guy that I dated was my son in another life. But interestingly, I was his father, it said in that life that we were, but I did feel a little bit like his mother <laughs> This one for different dynamics we won't go into. I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Actually, I met a woman here in Australia that I asked, she was telling me about some relationship troubles and I asked her, feel into what the dynamic is. And I was like, what is it? And she said, mother with a teenage son. <laughs> Very specifically, she's been married quite a while. And she feels like mother, teenage son. That's the dynamic. I was like, okay, well now that explains a lot of what's happening in this life. It's kind of like a carryover of that. So with Mr. Lively, I didn't feel any sadness because it was like, I still cared about him and I still was going to have him in my life for the many years after. And, you know, I was like, there's no loss. It was just like, oh, this is just shifting into a different dynamic. I was not nearly as aware then, but I didn't have any sadness because I just felt happy to still have him in my life in a different way. When it came to Atlas, our relationship, I asked my inner voice and it said, first love. 
was so cute. First love. And it really felt true. Like it really did feel that way. Um, as far as fearful when ending relationship, obviously I'm not going into the details of Atlas's relationship with me because it's personal and I have no, I mean, I would share, but it's not just my life. So for that reason, I will not go into that, but I was not fearful. I was trusting. I know my um, inner voice now quite well, and I don't have any fear anymore. I guess that's just the amazing thing. Uh, but in dating before and even after Atlas, like I just ask my inner voice, like, how do I know this person? And that it's not about fearful ending a relationship. I can say that I was not fearful about my husband. I was not fearful about Atlas because I was so clear within my inner voice that like of what was what and like what was right. And I was not in any conflict there. The dating years would be the times where I felt fearful ending a relationship, but usually they were ending it with me. <laughs> so I was just like afraid they were going to end the relationship might've been the better answer to that. But my inner voice actually told me recently, I had a deep, deep session within it and it said, um, no place and no partner was right between the time I got divorced and now, including the Atlas situation and Portugal. So those felt in my mind very, you know, let's say air quotes, permanent. They were not meant to be. They were not designed to be. I, you know, thought it seemed like it was flowing that way, but it wasn't meant, it was perfectly right for the time it was. So there was like a perfect joy. My inner voice said, basically, I needed to go to Portugal to have the relationship with Atlas, which is why I never came to Australia sooner because he had never been here and wouldn't have considered coming. So he was going to go there. It was kind of like we had planned that. But also on the bigger spectrum of the last seven years, I haven't been with a permanent air quotes. Again, nothing necessarily needs to be permanent partner or place because there's been a soul experience that my soul planned to have through my human form for the last seven years. And that was very, very essential. The main reason even that my inner voice chose to come into the form. And so as my humanness was living and bobbing around and figuring out the inner voice and traveling and going, when is it going to be over yet? When am I going to find my person? And, you know, crying on the human side, my inner voice was never saying that my inner voice and ever I would write to it would always say, it's not like you're not looking for love. You're looking for the truth of who you are, the truth of who you are. And it would always tell me very clearly what was happening, but I was not in my mind clear enough to understand the implications and the grandness of what it was saying from my inner voice. So it was like Yoda was talking to Luke Skywalker and Yoda was still saying the truth, but Luke couldn't hear it all the way. Like my humanness was like on the journey and was like, doing its lightsaber thing and figuring out the thing and having adventures and, and, and growing and maturing. But the Yoda aspect of me was always telling me the truth. So it was just my ability to hear it, receive it, understand it, assimilate it, use it. <laughs> that was never quite as clear as it is now to see, oh my gosh, it wasn't meant to be before. It was meant to be, I was meant to be shuffled about, you could say, so that I couldn't make an anchor in any one or any place as much as I tried desperately to do that for seven years, the way it flowed would not let me do that so that I could build an inner state of peace within myself only. No place, no person, no country, no family, no nothing. I needed to go. It came to build peace within itself in the physical world. It showed me a visual of a dock and that um, everybody, like most humans and human humanity in general, as a, as a kind of like a typical humanity experience. And I've probably had, a, according to my inner voice, 1,052 of these lives where, you know, maybe not all of them have been like this, but the idea is like, it showed me water, like an ocean and all these people bobbing up and down in the waves of life, the vibrational variance. And it said, now you're going to build a dock. The whole seven years has been about building a dock, probably the whole lifetime really, but especially in the last seven years, it's really been about building a dock on the water and the dock kind of gets built as I'm on the water, but I have to stop clinging to other people to be like to save them from drowning in the water or to be saved myself instead of this human leaning thing, which is what I've been doing. I don't do much of it, but I've always kind of had one person in my life, whether it's a partner or a friend or a mentor or something. I have people that I go to and I get that emotional support from. And basically it's been a journey, especially in the last few months, which has been really intense, but in a beautiful way is like 
removing those ties to external sources to build the dock within myself. So that solidity of the ocean floor, that's not variance and not changing through the changing conditions of the human life, that part of me wants to have stability and solidness in, in flat ground in this reality, which doesn't even sound <laughs> very typical for the average experience of life. And many things say, oh, that's, you know, people don't even think that they could even have that or would want to have that. But that's actually what my inner voice said. It As a soul level, that's what it wanted to do. It wanted to build inner peace and wanted to build this dock through the water. And that as I stopped clinging to other people in my reality, the dock piling, at first I saw like a piling, like a pier post from the ground up. It was going to start to appear. And then I was just going to cling like a koala (laughs) to the tree of that post. And then eventually there'd be another post and then planks on the middle. And then it would just keep evolving for me. And so that's apparently, as the best I know, as of I did a little hypnotherapy life between live session with my friend, Rachel Creether, who I just mentioned earlier. And that was just a beautiful, it was kind of interesting because my inner voice didn't do the typical thing, but it did do what I needed to see. So it was beautiful. So she was so great and just kind of like worked with me and what I was getting and how it was unfolding for me. And this like vision of this doc and that I'm here for this inner peace, which makes so much sense because when I was seventh grade, I picked the nickname inner peace. My AOL instant messenger name was inner peace 40. Why did I pick the name Inner Peace? Because I was this little Buddhist Christian girl that always wanted to (laughs) know the deeper mysteries of life from the middle of nowhere. My parents will say, we don't know where she came from. How is this what she's interested in? But my inner voice said it was the gifts that were planted there for you to discover. They've always been in you. So it's now it's been in me, but now it's kind of becoming me and it's kind of coming through me. And so that is a very long question about uh, fear of ending a relationship. (laughs) Somehow we got there though. So hopefully that's interesting for you to listen to. And here we are at the hour. I know there's many more questions that were asked. So thank you guys so much. But at this point, I'll just wrap up with all of this. Thank you guys so much for listening and asking those questions. And if you didn't get your question answered, by all means, when I do one of those again and you see it on Instagram, just reply again and just copy paste your old question if it's the same one or send a new one or update the one that you had previously. I am happy to answer them. But hopefully you enjoy these little extra insights and stories. I kind of got a little bit into random tangents of things that have made impressions on me in the past or details of my life story that may not have been recently shared or ever shared. So Until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today.